said, I believe there are scars in your hands That your goodness is good without end And you'll never change I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace The God of creation knows me by name The Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always Always Your mercy is mighty Age after age All generations will bow down and praise The Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always I believe you are here even now In your presence I know there is power Power to save oh, I will tell of your wonders Sing of your grace The God of creation knows me by name The Lord is faithful Yesterday, now and always And good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship on this Mother's Day, on this beautiful, sunny, tulip-timey day. Glad that you made it. Hopefully the traffic wasn't too bad yet. At this time, um, we invite you to hear from the word of the Lord. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Before 
you spoke it to be. You were the King of Kings. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. And now you're reigning still, enthroned above all things. Angels and saints cry out. We join them as we sing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God.
thousand. With a thousand hallelujahs, we magnify your name. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. I would like to, I'm going to head this way, and that means um, the kids can start to gather over here by the door. We got some here already. So let's come on over here.
And uh, we're going to do our blessing together. Let's all kind of gather. We're getting pretty used to that now, aren't we? All right. So the grown-ups have a role in this too. So we're going to see how we do here today. So do we have it on the screen? Pop it up there a minute. I think we pretty much know it by heart, but um, we're getting there. So how are you doing today? It's a special day. Do you like the warm weather? Yeah. Yes. We're all happy about that, aren't we? Yes, we are. So I want you to say it nice and loud. You know your role. We're going to get the adults going here first. The Lord be with you. Oh my, I don't think we even have to do that twice. You were awesome. Head on downstairs to your classes. Now you can open the door, I know. Now we can open the door. Awesome. Don't we all feel better with the warm weather and the sunshine? It does wonders for the soul. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? We begin with Proverbs 2. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land, and the fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Almighty God, our God of angel armies, as the mountains stand in your strength, as the rivers roar out your praise, and as a gentle rain refreshes, we know that we, your children, are the pride and joy of all of your creation. Your kingdom comes for us, in us, and through us. And today we find ourselves giving thanks for the changing of the seasons, the exploding of colors of your creation that surround us, all gifts from you for us to enjoy. And dear Father, we also know that spring is a metaphor for change. Some changes we eagerly await. Some we find ourselves very anxious about. Some changes we plan while others arrive uninvited. To all these changes, we ask that we see them through your eyes, seeing your strength and your courage to help us live with faith, expectation, and hope, no matter what the circumstances. May the sunlight, the rain, the warmer temperatures be reminders that you are at work renewing the earth. And as a God of renewal, you are ever at work in our lives as well. We find ourselves in the season of Eastertide, and you call us forward through the empty tomb, which is new life. Old bitterness is being put to bed, and new possibilities and goodness await us. Indeed, we are called to let the past be the past, to grasp new life you have given us, and to seek joy. Let us move forward, that you may be glorified and that we may lay aside those things that weigh us down on our journey to know you and to follow you more fully each and every day. It is with great privilege and hope that we lay before you our brothers and sisters, praying that your presence be felt in their lives 
every moment of every day. Comfort those in the midst of struggle, in the midst of loss, in the midst of mourning, and rejoice with those who celebrate today. Lord, we pray for the many people across our communities who are battling cancer. Give them strength and peace to confront it, knowing there is tremendous support through our prayers, as well as the many other hands-on ways that people walk alongside them. We pray for the doctors and the nurses who administer hope through medicine, and we thank you for the way that you have equipped them with not only gifts and talents, but more importantly, with wisdom and a heart of compassion. Today we pay special attention to our beloved mothers and grandmothers and stepmoms and adoptive moms, foster moms, mentor moms, and those women in our lives who have made a difference. We celebrate and give thanks for the gentle stronghold that they are in our lives. Please continue to provide them with your supernatural strength, your unwavering peace, and a calm stability to be your light in our homes, our schools, the workplace, and surrounding community as well. We know, too, that this can be a very tender day for so many, for those who have lost their moms, for those who deal with infertility, to those who have lost a child, those in a strained relationship. Please help each of us to be sensitive and understanding, sharing a hug, a kind word, or even just the wisdom to know that it's sometimes best just to listen. We pray too for our many graduates in this season where they mark a tremendous milestone in their lives. We ask that you fill them with encouragement and guidance as together we rejoice with them on a job well done. Finally, Lord, we pray for Pastor Bill this morning as he brings us your message. Holy Spirit, fill him with, not, with only the words that you wish for him to share. And now in confidence and without fear, we release these prayers to you. Please pour wisdom into our hearts so that our actions and our words and our choices will not only be pleasing to you, but a blessing to those around us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen, amen. Hi, JB. <laughs> You've Hi, changed. Mary. Yeah, I, have I got started? I'll let you explain. Have I, I already know. Okay. I'm glad I, you're here. Actually, I'm uh, in a previous century at the first church where I was serving as solo pastor, we'd experienced a, some great renewals among the French-speaking Cajun people in South Louisiana, and we'd started to worship. You know, Zydeco was just kind of the music of the place, so we had this kind of Zydeco thing going on, and folks were coming, and great stuff going, and I remember after about a year and a half, uh, a visitor came. This was just a little first Presbyterian church, Homa, Louisiana. It survived the recent hurricane. And so we had worship like we always did, and on the way out as I'm greeting folks and getting prayer requests, a person who had not been with us for several years walked by and said, shook my hand, and she said, young man, that was wonderful. When does the real pastor come back? <laughs> the real pastor will be back. Um, yesterday, uh, Pastor Aaron from Watershed found himself real sick. Um, 
fortunately, they were able to test and look into some things. He's well, he's home, recovering. All of that is good, but it seemed wise to a leadership team to um, uh, have JB take care of Watershed, and then I would be the red brick building guy. So I'm here today. Um, the real guy will be back before long. <laughs> so that's all good. I, I, honestly, I am thankful to be able to serve on a team like this and the difference it makes. We've been working on the same text. I'm sharing illustrations back and forth some. It won't be the same sermon, but um, we're in the same text. We're moving in some of the same areas. Uh, I'm really thankful to be here. I promised JB and Steve, there may be a slide with this. How about the, is there one before I get going with the text too? Do you know the one I'm talking about? There's a text number that I don't remember, uh, 616 something. And if you type the word, you see, I just already messed up. Um, if you text the word connect or pray or give, there we go. I may not know what I'm doing, but the folks upstairs uh, know, what, know what we're doing. If you'll text to that number, 616-202-1210, it's a way for us to connect with you. If you use the Connect card, we can email you information, keep you up. Uh, if you have a prayer request, we'll handle that confidential. If you'd like to give, um, there's a way to set that up. So, um, JB and uh, Yvonne, as I understand, are going to be celebrating a wedding anniversary this week. Uh, that's part of their thing. We want to pray for them and remember all that stuff. What a, what a day. Um, it's good to be together. Okay, the text for this morning is we continue to work through the book of Colossians, and chapter 1, verse 24 is where we begin. I'll read, and uh, they'll get the words up on the screen. Um, hear the word of God. Now, I, that is Paul, who's writing this letter, I rejoice in what I am suffering, and suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his, his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That is, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature, underline that if you're reading along, fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body... I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's amazing to think that a man in prison and forgotten in the eyes of the world would begin to pray for a church and people he'd never seen. And then he'd write a letter of encouragement and teaching to them. And they would receive that letter, read it. And it would edify them. It would have all the, the evidence of your word and anointing. And so by your grace, that letter has been preserved in amazing ways across centuries now. So that we might open the scroll for ourselves, as it were, translate it, study it, meditate, read it, hear it. Confident that here, your Holy Spirit will illumine to our hearts and minds your word for us in this moment. So teach us, guide us, guard us from my confusion and brokenness. And in all things, may the glory of Christ be seen in marvelous ways. Thank you for this time together. Thank you that you're bringing and restoring Aaron to um, good health and with JB and Yvonne. Be with those we love to the furthest ends of the earth. Thank you for your goodness and grace, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Paul had a goal in mind for this church that he had never even met. And that goal was maturity. Let's think about that word some, maturity. What he wanted as he taught, as he preached, as he wrote, as he discipled people to pass the faith on, was to see maturity blossom forth in them. Now, there's an interesting little story behind the word that he uses there. It's translated a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's perfect. Sometimes it's complete. And I kind of like that word, completed. What Paul yearned for was to see the completeness of Christ grow out in these folks. This is a word that's more like a race with a finish line. I want to see you cross the finish line. I have a goal, a target in mind, a finished product. You'll be more in some ways, more love, more joy, more peace than you are right now. You'll be less at the end of this than you are in other ways. Less worry, less anger, less self-righteousness or pride or greed. Often this perfecting, this completing, this teleos is not as a performance or as a state of being. I've made the grade. I'm going to stick right here. It's much more a journey. It's not a you compared to others. It's you entering into all that God created you for. You don't have to be worried. You, I'm not compared to be as great as Tom Brady and as Steph Curry. Those days are gone. There's not some mark that I've got to be. There's, there's a journey that God has me on that he, by his grace, will bring me, and he will make me. This morning, as I was meditating over these notes and preparing, I was struck by how powerful that is a message for our culture. There's a huge sensibility. You hear it in the word, how often the word identity is used anymore. Oh, you be you. Be that authentic identity of what you are. You declare who you are. No one else can. 
I want to tell you something. This maturity, this teleos, speaks to that. Become all you were meant to be. And it says a great yes to that. That there is something wonderful and marvelous, unique in all of history about you. Become that. That's the cry of our culture in this moment. But I want to tell you something else. Because it's the gospel, it will also say no. Because that unique identity that you're seeking for and that your heart yearns for is not simply yours to determine and declare. You see, that identity is a gift from a God who loves you and loves me. So it's God who gives that identity, not you who declares it. It's God who will gift you and call you and empower you and use the the experiences, good and bad, use your strengths, your weaknesses. He will be at work in you to bring you to maturity in the fullness of what God has for you, greater than the world could ever offer, greater than you could declare in yourself. You know, it's crushing to try to figure out who you are on your own terms. Imagine if you were created for more than you ever dreamed or imagined. And if God was anxious to lead you into that. That's what Paul dreams for these people. Completed. Completed. This word is used in a variety of different ways. Um, You'll find on the Sermon Resources blog, something that that I like to do, I can, um, and I've done this with two words, you'll find it up there. There's a way that I can print out in English, by the way, every verse where that particular word, teleos, is used in the New Testament. And I can kind of meditate through that. And I read these fascinating things. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be teleos, be completed. The Father is complete. Enter into that completeness. Matthew 19, 21, again, Jesus uses this word as he speaks to a wealthy young man. He says, if you want to be complete, if you want to enter into everything God has for you, well, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The pinnacle of what he's saying there is come and follow me. And if you'll follow Jesus, you will go places you could never imagine. I found myself among the French-speaking Cajuns for a season. God will bring you to places you would never expect or intend. And you'll begin to see his work at you. He will perfect. He will complete. 1 John 4, 8. There is no fear in love, but perfect, completed love drives out fear. Want to see your heart settled in security? It's that completed love, that journey over time, that getting closer to the finish line means for you. God's goal is maturity. So I want to keep that in mind. This is not ours to determine and declare as much as ours to discover from the hand of a great and loving God. That's the goal, maturity. And if you read through Colossians, you begin to see Paul put like pieces of the puzzle to see what that looks like. Maturity is God's vision for your life, what he wants that to be birthed and and bear fruit. Paul prays, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart. How would you like to enter into a maturity that was filled with encouragement? What is life like living these days? It can be discouraging. It can be overwhelming. 
Yes, in the midst of that, God can give, not simply from your circumstances, but from his throne room, an encouragement. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you're not alone, that there's people you're navigating life with and sharing hope with. Sometimes they pour into you, other times you pour into them. This is the goal, maturity, united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. I've lived long enough to know now that often when I look into my future, what I see coming at me is scary. But I've also lived long enough to now look back and be amazed at what God has done. It's amazing. Understanding often comes with time and perspective, but most of all, it comes with the gospel. That no matter what my momentary circumstances may be like, I may be like Paul in prison, but God is at work to do something greater and more wonderful, and sometimes it just takes time to understand and to see. But God is slowly, through the power of the gospel, giving me new lens and perspective to see and to understand life. So complete understanding is part of entering into the mystery of Christ. Colossians 2.4, Paul writes, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I want to tell you, there are a lot of fine-sounding arguments about how to live your life. They're impressive. But the gospel becomes a way to kind of sort through and, and to make sense of all the things pressing in on you. The world will tell you there's all sorts of places to find identity, all sorts of ways to press in and find joy. What the world offers comes and goes. What Jesus gives to us leads us through anything and everything. So don't be deceived. You know, one of the worst deceptions, the one I've had the biggest challenge dealing with in my own life is self-deception. Thinking of myself as something other than I am. Somehow life seems to fit a lot better when I finally came to grips with the gospel truth that I'm a big sinner who needs a big savior. I don't run into anybody else who needs a savior more than me. And that set me free to not be bothered by other people's brokenness because I've been forgiven of more than they could ever imagine. Isn't that marvelous? This is the gospel, setting me free from self-deception. Imagine, all on this journey towards maturity. Now, that's also meant I've had to struggle with this. What is maturity not? If maturity is those other things, what might it not be? I want to tell you, strike a blow against the consumerist empire. Jesus wants us to grow into maturity, and that may not be every day of every year of our life, prosperity. Oh, pardon me, Pastor Bill. I was looking for that. You can have your best life now, church. You won't find Jesus. Because Jesus is at work to create maturity. And sometimes that'll be prosperity. Other times it'll be very different. The scripture witnesses that in all things, plenty and in want, I am able to face them and God can be at work. Let that revolutionize your life. Maturity, not prosperity, not poverty. Maturity, that may be different than comfort for some seasons. Do you ever pray for the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering? 
think I'll pass on that one because to be long suffering, I'd have to suffer long. I don't wish anybody long suffering seasons, but I want to tell you something I've observed in the lives of great people in the course of my life that even in the midst of suffering, God can be at work in ways we wouldn't imagine. Maturity may be different than comfort or security or control. Maturity, it may be different than acceptance or approval, particularly from unbelievers. You know, more and more, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes, I think we're living in a time where to live sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ means we're going to be a little out of step with the world around us. I remember my dad saying, boy, Bill, you and Mary Lynn are a challenge as parents. When, when we were raising y'all, we just kind of did what everybody did. It's a different time. Now, God is big enough, and that's not bad news, but that's a reality we need to face. Maturity may look different than what the world will approve. Well, if maturity is the goal, how does it happen? What's at work with it? And I want to give you a great promise and a great reassurance. We see in this text, and we see through the whole scripture, that God is at work for the Colossians to bring them to maturity. Paul writes about it. He says, to them, God has chosen to make known. So friends, God, from the throne room of all reality, has declared to make known, and it's a mystery, to take from mystery to understanding over time into our lives the good news of the gospel. This idea that because of what Jesus did on the the cross, it's possible for the indwelling Christ to be our hope and glory. How is it that an instrument of torture becomes a pathway of hope and of joy and of generosity. It's a mystery until you see the cross in light of God's resurrection and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So God has chosen to make known. It's his purpose to take the mystery and to begin to make it clear. And to do that, he's used people. He's commissioning Paul. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. You know, it's a humbling thing to realize that I don't stand before you today simply because I have degrees and education and experience. I mean, I've got all those things, and I'm thankful enough for them. But I believe, and, and, and people that you trust and I trust and you have said, yeah, we're, we're going to run with this one, Bill. We think God has commissioned you to Make known the mystery of his grace and his goodness. And JB, and and indeed, each of us is the body of Christ, where whatever school, whatever neighborhood, whatever business God has placed you in, you're making the mystery known. How could it be that laying down your life brings joy? Doesn't make sense to me. You got to see the world through the gospel. So God is at work for the Colossians. But there's another interesting thing. Not only is God himself at work, that's how we know we're going to get there, but Paul himself is hard at work for the Colossians. Paul is investing his life into the life of others. And he says at the very beginning of this, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Paul is at work for the Colossians, and it's bringing him suffering. Now, that's a pretty challenging passage to 
dissect and to dig into. I, on this one, I really like the way the message uh, has presented it because it grabs better, I think, the intent of Paul. Let me read it to you from the message and you'll see how it clarifies some things. I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering that Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering, of entering in what God has. Is there suffering in the world? Has Jesus entered into the world to deal with that suffering? Is he now equipping his body to go where there is poverty or disease or war or famine or brokenness? Is he sending us into that suffering to bring the good news of a God who reigns? The answer to that is yes. Part of what had me in a faraway place in Louisiana was the call of God to a place so different than I'd ever lived before. God called me into their lives and their culture, their, their suffering, their joy. But you see, the gospel is about incarnation and sharing life. We're called by God to go where the gospel needs to go, and that's going to bring us into touch with suffering, not because of the inadequacy of the cross. There's a way of reading this that makes you think, Oh, the cross got about that much, and then we need to suffer a little and pay off the rest of the debt. Nothing could be further than the truth. But we need to read this and understand that to be in Christ means you're going to go into the midst of suffering. We've already sent missionaries into Ukraine. I was floored when we did our Feed Your Starving Children, you know, right over in the anchor. Pour rice and powder and vitamins and all that stuff into a bag. You know, we're some of that was going with that organization to Ukraine. People were going to be fed. We could enter in to their suffering by what we did on a Saturday morning. Friends, this is the gospel. A favorite writer of mine these days is a fellow named David French. He'd been a litigator for a while, then a combat veteran. He and his wife were uh, adoptive parents, fascinating. Last Sunday uh, in his newsletter, he wrote an article that just really struck me. It's again available on the Sermon Resources blog. It's called Why Compassion is Divisive. Now again, this is a, a lawyer looking at this who's a believer. He gives two reasons about why compassion will be divisive. First, compassion contradicts hate, and the hateful will not tolerate it. And he begins to unpack that. You know, we live in a world where there's plenty of hate floating around on all sides of most any argument. To live for the gospel, to live for the gospel is going to contradict that hate. A hateful world will not tolerate it. The second reason, he says, compassion contradicts pride and the prideful will not permit it. You see, to have compassion means to enter into another person's circumstances and suffering. To enter into their suffering, even from bad decisions. And to say, I'm going to join you in that suffering. I'm going to lay aside all that I am and take on some of the consequences of the bad things you've done. Listen to what David French says. The culture around us often claims it wants Christians to just be like Christ. But does it really 
The spirit of the age is better described by a famous quote by a Peruvian general and a president named Oscar Benavides, who writes, for my friends, everything. For my enemies, the law. Christ responds, and he says, for my friends, mercy. For my enemies, mercy. It's Jesus who said, love your enemies. You know, the assumption there is that there will be some folks who've declared themselves to be our enemies. Do I want to win or do I want to be like Christ? Paul is working hard, hard at work for the Colossians. And listen to the way he, he does it. He does it by proclaiming. That is to say, he's making the gospel known with clarity. You know, the gospel is not just about, oh, go be nice. So much preaching in our day and time, I heard one person say, is about nice people telling nice people to go be nicer. Well, we blew that one up because I'm not that nice. You may make up for it though, right? No, the gospel is about broken people founding a hope beyond their ability to compare or understand, living that out and telling people it comes from the cross. He's proclaiming and making the gospel known with clarity. He's admonishing, is the second word. He challenges people and their thinking and the behaviors that grow from that thinking. You know, there's going to be a change of direction sometime. My life is filled with changes of directions that call me to apologize, to repent. Boy, those are tough lessons. And he's teaching. It's the third thing he says. Changing their understanding with new information. The idea that there is a God. That he is at work. That he has a purpose for your life. That he will work through you in ways you cannot imagine or even at some moments want. But he is at work. Paul goes on to say, we teach everyone with all wisdom so that they may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, and I love this word, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Contending. Now this is another word that I've collected for you to, if you'd like to look at every use of that in the New Testament, it's there for you on the Sermon Resources blog. As I did that, I was really struck. There's three times this word is used in Colossians. It's used here where Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ for you. He also uses it in a few verses later, chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea, all who have not met me personally. So he can contend strenuously for people he's never met. Ponder that. Finally, in chapter 4, he mentions the person. Remember, Paul didn't plant the church in Colossae. He discipled Timothy. He and Timothy discipled a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras went to Colossae, led those people to Christ and discipled them. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples is how the church grew in the New Testament. And in chapter 4, verse 12, he goes back to this guy, this key guy, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus. He sends his greetings. He is always... In the New International Version, it's this same Greek word, but it says wrestling in prayer for you. Wrestling in prayer? That's what Paul began his epistle saying. I'm praying for you. 
He says, I'm contending for you. And Epaphras is contending slash wrestling in prayer for you. What does that mean to wrestle in prayer? What would you wrestle if you were wrestling in prayer? And you know that Greco-Roman wrestling, it's body on body. It's thrown to the mat. It's muscle against muscle and holding. How would you contend in prayer for someone you've never met? I want to tell you, and I just can touch this in passing, if there is only physical reality, I don't know what it means to contend in prayers if there's only physical reality. Now, I know there's a personal reality. I've got inner feelings and emotions. That's not physical, but it's real. But how do you wrestle with just internal personal? I know there's social stuff that, that, that racial, ethnic pressures are quite real. But I don't think Paul and Epaphras are wrestling and contending in prayer with just social pressure, the Romans and the Greeks. Friends, the scripture calls us to a much more nuanced and sophisticated vision of reality than our world has. I'm thankful for the personal and for the physical and for the social, but there is a spiritual reality. That's where God is, because God is spirit. But we contend in that reality of the spirit in prayer for people we may have never met. Have you ever prayed like that? What would it look like? How do we cultivate the kind of depth of prayer that Paul is assuming there? That our prayer is more than repetition of words, the physical, but our prayer is entering into a spiritual reality, wrestling with all the energy that God has given us. Contending. Contending in prayer. Contending in prayer for other people. This is how Paul does ministry while a prisoner. How do you lock a guy like that up? It must drive the Romans crazy. We lock him up and the world is changing from his prayers. Right now, the Communist Party of China has locked up a pastor named Wang Yi. I love this guy's story. He was a lawyer. He came to faith. And you know how he got discipled as a former Chinese lawyer? He started reading the works of John Calvin. He refers in his letters before they jailed him to Brother John Calvin who taught us. This is a guy who was a Chinese lawyer, comes to faith in Christ, gets discipled by a guy who discipled me through his books, and now he's in prison. I got bad news for the Chinese Communist Party. Wang Yi is praying like Paul. Wang Yi, and I want to learn how to join him. That's what it means to pray, to contend in the Spirit, to wrestle in prayer. So you see, friends, there's a maturity. God wants to lead us deeper into what he's doing. God himself is at work in these things, and he calls us to be a part of it. So often we talk about God at work, but we hardly know how to work that out. Often people will ask me, well, who's at work here? Is it either God or is it me? I, I'm not one of those who pray, but let's get to work and let's make a difference. You ever heard that one? Oh, you Christians, why are you praying? Let's go do something and make a difference about poverty or hunger or just any number of things. God, through Paul, in this text, doesn't see it this way. 
There's a book I've been reading and rereading and rereading and taking uh, stories from. I'm going to close with one today. It's called Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. She and her husband, Jonathan, who you'll meet in a moment uh, through the book, are both priests in the Anglican Church in North America. And this book has drawn me to a deeper life in prayer. It's a, she's a great writer. She uh, is a regular columnist in, of all places, the New York Times. She had the best presentation of why the resurrection of Jesus from the dead matters on Easter Sunday in the New York Times. Stand in awe. Get the book. She has a great term that I love in this moment. Which is it? Either or, she uses this term competing agency. Agency, the ability to act. We often try to think, is this God acting or is this me acting? Do I need to get busy or do I just sit back and let God do it? This picture that she draws from us, well grounded in the scripture, is that the question is not either or, instead it's both and. That God is at work. The prayers and the worship of his people and through his people, indeed by common grace, even through people who would be hard pressed to see him as God. But God is at work and we need to be aware and plugged deeply into that. I wanna read you, as soon as I find it, just a few closing paragraphs from this book that speak to me about this problem of competing agency. Is it either or, who's at work here, Instead, I think the scripture says it's both and. This is Tish Harrison. Harvard professor Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress, outlines how our lives have been improved by reason, particularly by science and technology. Pinker explicitly pits prayer against the work of progress. Listen to what he writes in the book. Ever creative... Homo sapiens have long fought back against disease with quackery such as prayer. But starting in the late 18th century with the invention of vaccination and accelerating in the 19th century with the acceptance of germ theory and of disease, the tide of battle began to turn. Hand washing, midwifery, mosquito control, and especially the protection of drinking water by public sewerage and chlorinated tap water would come to save billions of lives. Now, uh, Tish Harrison writes, Pinker assumes that prayer and God himself dwells in some other dimension than hand-washing, germ theory, or sewers. Believer and unbeliever alike can slip into this way of thinking. We wall off prayer, whether we think of it as quackery or not, but we wall it off from hard work, acts of genius, leaps in technology, or even bills becoming law. She tells this story from her own family. One evening, I came downstairs, and to my surprise, I found my husband, Jonathan. Remember, this is one Anglican priest wife observing her Anglican priest husband. I found my husband, Jonathan, crying while reading, positively weeping over the kindness and generosity of God. But he wasn't reading the Bible to the church fathers. He was reading Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. I began to laugh. As my husband read about the billions of lives that had been saved through clean water and modern medical care, he saw the work of God in and through P. 
people's work. Steven Pinker and Jonathan were looking at the same event, the same data, but their stories about that data and reality made them narrate in completely different ways. Where Pinker saw quackery, Jonathan saw the glory of God at work through his people. He was filled with wonder that God would usher such astounding healing into this sad world and give men and women the privilege of participating in that work. Her husband, Jonathan, saw people doing what Paul was writing about here, laboring, even contending with all God's energy, even by common grace, pressing forward in the work of God to bring an end to disease or poverty or injustice, praying and working rather than praying or working. One of the things I love about being part of the ministry here at Heart of Lake is that we're gaining more alignment and day by day focusing on the goal that we believe God has given us to invite every one of you, every one of you, to come and join the journey. Because it's a journey, it's a lifetime adventure really. To join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following the risen Christ. Who's at work, him or you? The gospel declares that he, because of what Jesus did on the cross, will indwell us. And he will work in and through us to his glory and to the benefit of others. Friends, that is the most exciting thing we could ever be called to. He wants to do it in your families, or your schools, where you're a student, or the business, where you're a worker or a leader. He wants to do it once again in our community, in our state, in our nation, to the utter ends of the earth. God at work in his people to his glory. You're invited. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kindness and goodness to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you that you invite us on a challenging adventure, but that in that adventure we will see all sorts of things and we will discover your work in us for the benefit of others and to your glory. We thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus. Lead us boldly where our own fears and reservations would never go. But in the fullness of your grace, bear your fruit that the world might see good news came to us at the cross of Jesus. For we pray in his marvelous and mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
This song is free. 